I don't just want to make like a little bump next week. What can I do that's going to make my life permanently better and I almost can't screw it up? Welcome to Noah Kagan Presents. What up, everyone? It's your boy, Mr. Cut Your Coupons, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I'm super excited for you to meet my good friend, Tynan. He was a former professional gambler, professional poker player, and he currently lives in Vegas. So he's basically a total degenerate. Just kidding. This guy is addicted to the world's best green tea. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. And he does love karaoke. In today's episode, we discuss a bunch of really amazing and interesting things. Here's just a few that you're going to hear and a bunch more. What he learned being a professional pickup artist and the story of him stealing Jeremy Piven's girl. How he bought his own private island. The 5% challenge and how it's really changed the way I spend my money. Wife Quest 9000. How he hacks airport lounges and a bunch more. I can't wait for you to enjoy. Have fun. Oh. This is disgusting. <laughs> you don't like it? So we're drinking green. What's this called? This tea? This is Gyokuro. Gyokuro? Yeah. Gyokuro. Uh, and you said that the tea had a, like, it was made love to by four virgins? Uh, three. Three. Okay. No, but you said it, it could barely survive? Yeah. So what they do is for the last three weeks of its life, <laughs> the look on your face, Dude, last three weeks of its, of its life, they cover it in shade. And so it has to struggle because it's not getting very much sun. So it produces more of all the chemicals that are in it. So even if you look at the leaves, they're almost black. Do you think there's like a lesson for life in that? Like because it had to survive, that it'll be stronger. Like if you go through adversity, yada, yada, yada. I think you could make one. Yeah. We make something out of everything. That's the thing. If you, if you want to make a life lesson out of tea, you can. I I'll make a lot of life lessons out of just random activities in my day. I was at a campfire two weeks ago. I did a nothing day where literally I just, or nothing week, where I planned nothing for the whole week. That's what I've been doing this year too, yeah. You're just doing a nothing year. Yeah, it's just a nothing year. And I was making the fire and I was just thinking how cool it was. I was like making this fire and I was like, man, that's just like life. You got to like go get stuff. And then it starts with a little bit of a match and then it gets bigger and then it gets bigger and then you're happy and enjoying what you've just spent time building. And, but then if you don't keep putting fire on, it burns out. See, you could also just do the exact opposite. You could say, you know, this fire represents your life. And the more things you put on it, the more of a fire you have. So you need to have less things in your life. Like, you could just make it into anything. <laughs> you could do the exact opposite with any of them. All right, so I'm at Tynan's house in Vegas. Uh, he is a guy I've known online. For me, the premise of why I wanted to chat with you is because, like, who the fuck are you? Great question. That's a really intense question. question. Um, and then how did you make your life so interesting? How do you get into butt spas and karaoke and all these other activities and, and disgusting green tea? I have a strong aversion to doing what other people are doing because I feel like, well, it's already done anyway. What's the point of doing that? What do you mean? Uh, I just think you get this one shot at life. So unless you're doing totally different things than everybody else, you're kind of wasting it, in my opinion. I mean, that's oh, my doing own... different things than everybody Right. Else. So I just want to do different things. I just want to try things that other people aren't trying because then maybe I can say, hey, look at these butt spas. You should try one too. Or look at this crazy tea, you should try it too. Whereas if I was doing the same exact thing as everybody else, what am I going to share with other people? Why do you want to? Because uh, I like when people share things with me. Actually, our mutual friend Nick Gray is the one who got me into butt spas. I mean, kicking and screaming. I really didn't want to do it. Butt spas are bidets for everyone who's curious what that is. That's true. Is. I think everybody knows that. And so when you finally share it, you like the reaction that someone's like, oh, that's interesting that you did that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes these things, like airport lounges, where we just came from, people don't know about airport lounges. You get them in on that, and they're like, this is changing my life. The way I travel now is totally different. 
What's cool about the airport lounge is people may not know this, but there's airport lounges in just about every airport, like multiple ones. I think people see them, but they don't know what happens inside. Yeah, and you assume that you would never be allowed. You're not allowed in. There's yeah, certain, yeah. It's, it's like when you see somebody driving a Bentley, you're like, oh, I wouldn't be allowed in that car. Right? It's the same thing with the airport lounges, but you can get them through your credit card. So if you get an Amex Platinum, that's the easiest way to do it. little hack for that is for the first card member, it's 475 bucks a year, but you can get four additional ones for 150 bucks total. Yeah, there you go. Oh, I didn't know that. So you can just split the whole total so cost. So you split the whole total cost. It has to be people you trust so they don't rack up charges on your card. But that's what my friends and I do. We and only no use it to get into the lounge. And no, only you guys don't use the card, basically. Correct. As much as you do things to share, you also don't want to share things. I just don't want things to get ruined. One of the first things I ever did was this online gambling thing. And that was this thing where when you found a weakness in a casino... There was sort of the sweet spot where if you share it with a few people, then they owe you favors. They'll show you the next one. But if you share it with too many people, it would disappear very quickly. So I think maybe I carried that mentality over. So I learned from Lucy K where he gives out his best jokes always right away. So it actually challenges him to get better and make the su- subsequent jokes even better. Oh, that's interesting. Right? So I like that mentality for myself where like if I'm writing content or working on uh, podcasts or YouTube, whatever it is, like I'm like, what, what's the best one I have right now? But let's put that one out so that the next one I have to even elevate my game and it keeps making me progress in elevation. I like that idea, yeah. I think a lot of times when I come up with some idea, I'm like, this is the best idea, everybody's going to do this. And I put it on the blog, it's like five people did it or something. Because most people, they already know what they want to do and they're just going to do it anyway. And what's crazy is very common thing is that they just want permission to do things they already know they should do. And it's like they are, they've already come up with the plan and they're like, do you think I should do this? I'm like, yep. And then they do it, they're like, oh, it worked so great. It's like, well... Yeah, but you, you could have just done that. Like, you didn't really need me for that one. Coming back to the beginning. First fun thing, why don't you like sharing your last name online? It comes from two things. So one is that in Texas, if somebody knows your full name, they can look up your driver's license. So they can get your driver's license, inform- like the driver's license number, like date of birth, all this information on you. Really? Yeah, it's, it's like five bucks. You can get it very easily. So my friends and I used to think that was really cool, and we would like have that, and we'd like look each other up. And you can look people up by their license plates, like all this information. Okay. And so I just thought, well, I'm not going to put my last name online. And then also, you know, I got involved in pickup and all that, and I have a lot of family members, and I thought, you know, maybe it should be up to them if they want to be associated with that or not, because certain people have snap judgments about it, or maybe even not snap judgments about it. So I just thought, give my family a little independence from some of the crazy stuff I do. It's interesting. Do you know that you can find, like, any owner of any property online, too? Try finding me. No, for, like, any property owner? Unless it's registered in like an LLC. Yeah, you can do it in LLCs. There's always ways. But it was interesting. Like in Austin, and you could do it in any city, you just mm-hmm. look up the deeds. You can go online, do property search, type in an address, and it'll say the owner. There's places I've wanted to buy, so I just look up the owner and I'll write them a letter. We're actually doing that now to try to buy more units here. Yeah, it's pretty amazing the amount of information that you can find. Like we just assume that people can't. Yeah. What is one story that your parents wouldn't want the, to be associated with? I think that now that it's all kind of happened and it's more of a known quantity, I don't think they really mind. Like I think they're pretty proud of me or at least they're happy with the path I've taken. But, you know, they were not happy when I dropped out of school and then was a professional gambler and then gotten to pick up like... That's not exactly something where parents are like, well, guess what my little Tynan is doing? Uh, yeah, what did they say you were doing? I don't really know, to be honest with you. I mean, they were so embarrassed when I dropped out of school that they tried to cancel Christmas. We do this Christmas with all of our family, and they didn't want to go because they didn't, just didn't want to like, talk about me dropping out of school. That's pretty nuts. Yeah. And so how did you rectify the relationship? Uh, so it was rough for a couple months. Not terrible, but just we weren't really talking. But something that was pretty interesting, I don't know if I've ever said this before, is that they had, they had saved up, they and my grandparents had saved up some money for me for college. And when I dropped out, there was still quite a bit of it left. And they knew that I was gambling and they, they didn't like that I was gambling, but they gave it to me anyway. 
and let me use it for gambling. And so even though we weren't talking, they were like, well, it's your money. I guess we're just going to give it to you now. How much money was it? Uh, it was like tens of thousands. You know, I was a professional gambler for years. It was a huge part of it. It helped a lot. Well, how much does a professional gambler actually make? Back then you'd make, if you were really hustling, and you know, killing it, you could make, I mean, I, I knew one guy probably made about a million bucks a year. How much were you making? A few hundred thousand at my best year. And how many hours a week or month? Like, is- like zero. Like, so I, I had a server rack in my house. I had like employees, like it was like a whole thing. Huh. Would, give me a little more, tell me a little more about this. <laughs> the, the gist of it was that occasionally casinos would have loopholes that were small. Maybe it was like the equivalent of like, hey, here's 50 bucks for free. Okay. What we would do is I had a whole network of people where I had all their IDs. I'd paid them to use their names and I had servers that would automatically play. And so any little loophole, I could turn into a huge loophole with no real time. So anything that maybe wouldn't be worth the time to like squeeze out this loophole, I could just do it automatically on a huge scale. Can you give me an example? Or? So there's one famous one that happened that I actually didn't take. Hu- I, I got it a little bit, but not like some people. But this casino had this promotion for roulette where if you bet on zero or seven, you got paid twice what you should get paid, which essentially gives you, you know, normally the house has an advantage of one to three percent. That gave you a player advantage of about 90 something percent. So it meant for every hundred dollars you bet, in the long run, you were getting maybe like $190 back. And so there's one guy I know made a quarter million dollars in one day on that. You just played it over and over with all the different servers you had? Yeah. You played it over and over with all these different names. Yeah. And I mean, that, and that's a big one. Maybe another one might be that there's a loyalty program where, you know, if you play just the right machine, you're getting a 1% advantage. So it's not really worth churning out with your time. But if you have machines playing overnight on 20 accounts while you're sleeping, you know, maybe you wake up to a thousand bucks. Did you ever have like people get you with guns or any kind of like crazy Vegas stories? You know, I had one funny story actually. So uh, I never did sports books. I just didn't, wasn't into sports, didn't really understand them, but I did the casino side. But you could also make money doing sports books. People would find these arbitrages between different sports books. Arbitrage mean like the, the odds are better in one than the other? And then... It was like you could bet, say it was like Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey. You could bet Holly Holm on one book, Ronda Rousey on the other book. And no matter who won, you would make a little bit of money because the odds are so different on those two books. And so I would sort of outsource my sports books to this one guy who I knew online. And it was weird because there was a very small community of about a hundred of us and none of us ever met in person, but we would routinely loan each other tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, like all the time. And so there's this one guy who we'd loaned each other, you know, tens of thousands of dollars probably on and over. No agreement, nothing? No. And he was doing uh, my sports books and one day we're on the phone and people run into his house and try to shoot him. Like I can hear it. He's like, oh no, these people are here. He always had like this weird voice. Turns out he was like a bike gang member. And it was like, yeah, it was, it was a very weird situation. He was very nice to me, but as I got to know him better, he would just tell me all these like crazy stories. And, and then did you get your money back? I think he never actually paid me all the money he owed me. So at the end, we sort of got busted and everybody's money got confiscated. How'd you get busted? Uh, there was something that was like PayPal for gambling and the ebooky or something? it's called uh, NetTeller. Okay. We got sloppy about never sending money between the different names we were playing and they linked them all and just shut down all of our accounts. And what sucks is I was being really frugal. I would, I would never pull money out. I would just leave it all in my bankroll unless I like needed it for expenses or whatever. And I really didn't buy that much stuff. And so I had, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that got seized. That you lost. Yeah. And one day I woke up one day, one, one account's locked, which happened once in a while. Log into the next one. It's locked. They're all locked. I send an email and they're like, yeah, we basically know that all these are your accounts. If you want to try proving that they're not, good luck. How'd you feel? Well, you felt like shit, I'm guessing. I didn't. That was a really weird day for me. I still remember that day really well. 
So it happened. And I remember thinking like, oh, I should be more upset about this than I am. I think part of it was that I was getting very sick of gambling because it had really, in the beginning, it was really fun trying to come up with ways to like beat the casino. At the end, it was mostly about collections from the casinos, which is not fun. They didn't want to pay you. Yeah, they didn't want to pay you. And you'd hit like rail flushes, then they try not to pay you and ask for all this documentation. And so I felt really good that I didn't have to do it anymore. And then I also felt good that I just wasn't upset that I'd lost that much money. And so I just sort of had this feeling like, oh, well, if I can, if I can lose all that money and not really be in a bad place, then like my life's pretty good. I have nothing to worry about. And I remember having dinner with my friends that night. And I remember just thinking like, they have no idea how much money I lost. Like this is to them, this seems like a totally normal day and it's like not affecting me so much. Yeah. I think that gave me that, that whole experience gave me a lot of different perspective on life. How so? Well, I guess for one, I got, I, I had so much money back then that I sort of know what it's like to have a lot of money. And so now I, now I have less money than that, or at least make less money in a year than that. And I think when you don't have that much money and you don't know what it's like, you really chase it a little bit more. And now it's like, well, I already, like I bought my dream car. I like would travel all over the place. Like I didn't, you know, I go to restaurants, didn't worry about money. And like, I, it was awesome and I liked it, but it maybe wasn't this whole new life like I thought it would be. I think sometimes people think like, oh, if I had a million dollars, my whole life would change. But then it's like, well, it doesn't really change that much. Just a few things change and most things are the same. Like if you're an insecure person, you're still insecure. If you uh, aren't healthy, you're still not healthy. You can buy more things. That's the only thing. You know, there's some differences, but it, I guess I thought it was going to be a bigger change to have a lot of money than it actually was. And so now when I make decisions about how to spend my time or, like, you know, make more money, it's like, yeah, it's awesome, but it's not maybe as awesome as it would seem if I hadn't done it before. What was the biggest superfluous spend you did when you had all that money? There was this car I really wanted. It was a Mercedes S600 Coupe, which is like kind of a rare car. It was a V12. And I saw one on Craigslist and I went to go test drive it. And it was like amazing, but I forget, it wasn't even that much. It was like 25, 30,000 or something. And I was like, I'm just going to lowball this guy because I don't want to admit that I was only here to test drive it. So I'm like, oh, I'll give you 22. And he's like, okay. So I accidentally bought this Mercedes. <laughs> and it was it what was it as good of a dream as you thought it was going to be? Oh, I mean, I loved this thing. Like for for a few weeks, it was like this amazing thing. I've got this amazing car. It was so cool. It was so fast. I got 19-inch rims for it because I listened to rap music. And a year later, it's just like a normal car, you know? I mean, I still liked it, but it wasn't making my life any better or anything. What gave you the confidence that you could drop out of college and, and make this full-time? So I never wanted to go to school. Like, I, I guess the, the reason I went was because there was a lot of pressure from my family and also because I just didn't have a better idea anyway. So I went to school and I started doing this gambling thing. And maybe I was making like 30000 a year. Did you have friends doing gambling? Is that why? Or? You know, it was so weird. I tried to get all my friends in on it. Nobody would do it. Why did you want to do it? I just found gambling fascinating anyway. And then just to make that, you know, I've been entrepreneurial and sort of make money was really cool. Um, and there was a sort of like CD. I, I sort of liked that it was like a little bit underground. I thought that, that was really appealing to me. So I was doing that. I, made, I was making like maybe 30 grand or something. And 30 grand a month? A year. Okay. In college? In college. So I'm just spending like an hour or two here and there. I didn't, you know, I was just playing under my name. I didn't have all these servers. So it was just the beginning. But my main constraint was time at that point because it wasn't all automated. And all these classes were taking up my time. I didn't feel like I was learning anything in class. I knew that there was no career I'd ever want to have that would be reliant on me having a degree. And then I was having to sign up for classes for the next semester. And there was no way around taking Texas history at 8 a.m. And because it was a required class, you had to take Texas history at UT Austin. And I guess I'd waited too long. The only one available was 8 a.m. And I just thought, there's no way I'm really going to wake up at 8 a.m. every day for Texas history. So 
So I went to the registrar or the counselor or whatever, and I said, hey, I want to drop out. And she said, oh, okay, well, I'll say you're taking a semester off so you can come back. And I was like a little scared my mom might make me go back to school. So I was like, no, just say I'm dropping out permanently. And so I made it so I couldn't come back. Did you consult anyone? I feel like that's a massive life-changing decision. And you did it based, because like, what if that history class was at 10 a.m.? Like, you wouldn't have graduated. But it's one, it's interesting that you just... I would have never graduated, for sure. I don't think there's any path where I would have graduated. Because I was just looking for a way out. And so that, like, that was like very, it wasn't only because of that, but it was like, okay, good excuse. I'll get out of here. And, and then I, and I knew that I could use the time for gambling. And then what made you want to just do gambling then? Well, I was really excited about it, but you know, it was growing and I knew that it could keep growing and the constraint was my time. And also just my entire life, you know, I've always been a pretty independent person and I always felt like I wasn't making my own decisions. I was making some of them, but not all of them. And I'll never forget the feeling I dropped out. And I remember walking back to my apartment and just thinking like, whoa, my life is mine now. Like, I've gone directly against what my parents want me to do, so I better figure it out for myself. Like, what am I going to, you know, I can't rely on them for anything. Not like they were kicking me out or anything or yeah. cutting me off, but like, okay, like, by taking this action, I'm now claiming responsibility, essentially. It felt great. I really liked that. Do you feel like you're still like that? Yeah, 100%. That, that like, sets you on a path? Yeah, I th- I, you know, I think it's it's much easier to make the story up in reverse, so I don't really know, but that does seem like, there are a few things like that that... I did, where I would just kind of do these crazy things, and then it w- they would work out really well, and I would think, oh, maybe I should just make my own decisions. What do you think other people can learn from that? I realized the more that I keep aligning to what I really, really want, just the more satisfied I am about life. 100%. I want to preach it. Yeah. Change your work so you love your work. Change your friends. Like, you don't like hanging on this fucking friend? Drop that fucking friend. Yeah. And it's like we were talking about earlier. Spend time with the friends that give you energy. Like, I flew to Vegas to hang out with you. Like, I came out of my way. I didn't have to come to Vegas, but I know I love hanging out with you, so go do that. And then health, like, go find activities that, that are healthy that I enjoy. I feel like we go and, like, oh, I'm expected to do this. Right, this guy's in town, so I have to have coffee. And I've just been really, I'm like, dude, I have one life yeah, that doesn't exactly. go in back. There's no reverse. There's no rewind. So you don't get the time back that you waste with people yeah. or waste on things or waste on work. I think people don't think about it, honestly. I think most people, they think about it just enough to try to confirm that they're right. So they'll think like, oh, I should start my own business. And they're like, oh, no, that's scary. Yeah, that's way too much. I can't do it. Okay, back to work. I used to think everybody was exactly like I was. I just assumed that. You know, when you're young, you think everybody's exactly the same, or at least I did. And I had this friend who was really close to me, my best friend in college. We would, we would go, like, we'd climb radio towers together, and we were, like, getting in trouble together. We were doing all these things. And he was signing up for the military, and he, he wanted to be a, a jet pilot. So it was a 12-year commitment. And I remember sitting him down and just saying, like, hey, like, are you sure you want to do this? If you sign this paper, you're for 12 years, you're going to have people tell you what, what, what you have to do. And he said, well, that's what I want. He's like, yeah, I just want people to tell me what to do. And I want to do it to the best of my ability. And it was crazy. It like switched a, a, a switch in my head where I thought, oh, I thought everybody just wants to like take full control over their life and make their own decisions. But some people, and this is an awesome guy, super talented. I love him to death. His thing in life is he wants to be, he wants to be given constraints and then rise to, you know, fill those constraints and excel in them. So I think, I think a lot of people just don't want to do it. What is something that everyone could maybe do if they want to start taking control of their life back? I think people just need to think critically, even when it's difficult to think about it. Like, why am I, why am I in this relationship? Like, really, why am I in this relationship? Is it because this is the best person for me? Or is it because I'm scared to be single? Or is it because I haven't thought about it in, in a year and I'm just coasting along? Or is it because I don't want to face rejection, right? Why am I in this job? Is it because I haven't saved up enough money and if I don't have it, I'm totally screwed? I think people don't want to have those thoughts. But I think it's anytime somebody does have that thought, it's always a good thing because either they come up with something better or they're like, oh, 
no, I'm in this relationship for the right reasons. Great. Like, let me double down on it. But I just, it just feels to me like a lot of people don't really think these things through. I'm trying to think of something that like anyone who's got this up in their earlobes could do today, do right now while they're listening to it that, you know, I like a lot of the episodes to be thought of as classics. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of conceptually. I want the episodes to be so amazing. Like when you started talking about how you took your control of your life back, I'm like, I'm going to take control of my <laughs> life back. Like, all right, I need to do something. I'm, I'm trying to think of something that everyone can do today to take the control of their life back. One easy example for me, or one thing I can think of just off the, off the cuff, take control of your schedule. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what do you have planned today? And what of those things do you actually want to do? Right. And how can you, in the future, make it so your schedule is only full of things to do? Right? Like, start with today and use that as a template. That's a good challenge, yeah. And it feels great when you interact with one of those people. Like, there's this guy at Wendy's. I loved going to Wendy's just because this guy was so happy and so good at what he did. That's one of the big reasons I don't drink. I mean, there's probably a billion reasons I don't. But one of the big ones is, it seems to me like a lot of people use it to avoid doing work that they need to do. Because it's very easy not to do it. Go on with this? Well, it's like, you know, people say you're, say you're too shy to make friends or meet girls. Just drink and maybe something will happen. Because that's a lot easier than spending a year and learning how to talk to people when you're sober. Right? Mm. Or, um, you know, like you're stressed and there's things that in your life that need to be addressed. But instead of going home and doing that work, you drink so you don't think about it. And I just... Don't want to give my, I don't want to give myself that easy out because probably I would take it. The thing with drinking, to kind of almost paraphrase, or at least the way that I'm interpreting it, is you have to face your problems. Right. So we're talking about taking control of your life. If you're doing, it's not drinking. I don't think drinking is the problem. But it's like, if you were doing it as an avoidance of facing the problem, there is no way for life to get better. Right. I just don't want to have that tool in the toolbox. When it's like, I have some problem, I don't want to be like, oh, I'll just drink. Because that's never going to permanently solve it. I'd rather just not have that even be an option. So like you're saying, it's like, well, I've got to face it no matter what it is. One thing I like about these challenges is that I think a lot of people, a lot of times people get really daunted when they want to change something in their life because it feels like it has to be forever. It's like, do I want to go vegan forever? Which is a very hard decision to make where it's like, do I want to try being vegan for a month and see what it feels like? It's like, yeah, I mean, probably not because I like bacon, but let's give it a go. Like, yeah. it's, it's a much smaller deal. And then you can make that decision of with data. So a friend of mine has this really deep voice. Little Chinese guy has this really deep voice. What's an example? Like he 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 probably talks like this. Hey, what's up? Like this slow, but it sounds more normal than I'm doing right now. And we're in New Zealand, and we're just joking around. I say something about his voice. He's like, "Oh yeah, well I trained that." I said, "What? "What? What are you talking about?" He's like, "Oh yeah, I used to have a really high voice, and then I just challenged myself to always speak in a low voice. And yeah, it probably took two three months, and now I always talk like this." And as long I've known him five, six years, maybe, he's always had this super low voice. Dude, that's good. Something you never think that you can change. I think that's great. One thing you got me thinking about uh, when I go to like business events, Mm -hmm. I cannot be the first person to ask what they do. Oh, interesting. I'll ask everything except what they work on. Nice. And it actually finds that I build better relationships with people and I generally am like enjoying myself more than like, oh, you're doing that? That's great. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have really boring jobs. I think the overall path of challenges stuff or any of this is just really enjoying life. And the more that you take control and do the things you actually want in life, I think think you're... Yeah, I think taking responsibility for your life. I think a lot of people take responsibility for their lives. I wrote yesterday, it's literally, it's always your responsibility. Like, I had a bad interview on a podcast yesterday, and I started turning into blaming them. I'm like, they should have prepared more. They should have had better questions. And then I wrote it down, like, it's always your responsibility. I actually have a blog post that literally has that title. Something may not be your fault in any way, but you can still take responsibility for fixing it. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh, this relationship sucks because my girlfriend doesn't call me enough or whatever. It's like, okay, 
maybe that's true. Maybe that is why, but that doesn't mean you can't do something to fix it. That's it. It, it applies to everything. It, it does apply to everything. It's so easy. And it's funny. You, once you start being aware, once you put these glasses on, you see it in everybody else. You're like, man, you're blaming everyone but you. Yeah. You're the common denominator. And it makes life easy because then you skip that whole step of like, is this my problem? Is it her problem? Is it his problem? It's like irrelevant. Let's just solve it. Yeah. So I think it actually makes life much less stressful when you, because that blame game is just like ridiculous, right? Where it's like, no, I think it's his fault. I think it's, you know, how do I tell him this is his fault? Irrelevant. Just fix the problem. There's a lot of people who just want to feel like they've been wronged because it takes all responsibility off of them, right? Where it's like, I got screwed over here. I'm the victim. Maybe it's true, but that's still not a very healthy, like, what's the point? Like you just said, it's like, great. So I feel like a victim. It's, it's, it's his fault. Who cares? I think a lot of the things I've noticed about successful people or the person I want to be as well, what can I do about the situation instead of what is this other person's fault and responsibility versus what I can do? And if you can't, if you can't fix it and it can't be fixed, don't talk about it. Because, you know, we live once. Let's talk about something we can work on. Coming back to taking responsibility, uh, I was curious. So it sounds like you take a lot of risks. Like you drop out of college, you go professional gamble, you travel the world stuff. And we'll get into a lot of these other stories. What are you not risky on? Like, do you always wear condoms? Do you have, like, life insurance? What things are you, will you not take risks on? Because you seem like you, want, you take a lot of risks. So I actually don't think I'm a very risky person. I think I do risky things as safely as humanly possible. When I was a teenager, I was climbing, you know those huge radio towers in Austin? The moon towers. The moon yeah. towers. No, 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 no. The huge, like you can see them out of your window, the giant radio towers that are okay. white, red, white, red, okay. with the lights at the top so yeah. the planes don't hit them. My friends and I climbed those things, but we wore harnesses. Like we bought harnesses and went up there and gloves and all this. And I, I think that people confuse unusual with risky all the time. Like I didn't think it was risky at all to drop out of school. I thought staying in school was risky because it's like, oh, if I stay in school, maybe I'm going to get a job and have a miserable life that I don't want. So to me, that was a huge, huge risk. But as soon as I dropped out, it's like, well, I can't do that anymore. Now I'm going to have to do my own thing and I'm confident enough I'll come up with something. So like traveling, I think people think is risky. It's really not. Like all these things people think are risky, I just don't think are actually risky. And I heard that you were in the book, The Game. You're, you're, what was your nickname in it? Herbal. Herbal. Uh, and we're drinking tea. Herbal. Is it herbal tea? I didn't like tea back then. People, students would come up to me and they'd be like, hey man, so you, you smoke weed? And I'm like, nope. And they're like, oh, you just like tea a lot? It's like, no. Why they call you herbal? Uh, it was because I was so embarrassed when I got into pickup. It was an online thing back then. I didn't want to use any of my handles, you know, any of my aliases that any friends would ever find. Mm. And I had made this little rap song for my friends one time and they asked what my rap name was and I said iced tea, tea for time. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's already taken. I was like, oh, I guess herbal tea. And so... It was That's just like real. something that was in my head. And then you get stuck with it. So I remember when I first met you, and I was just like, there is no way this guy was in the game. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a common thing that you've got. Extraordinarily but I, common. I was like, this is what a pickup artist looks like. And it's not that you're a bad looking guy. You're not, I wouldn't say you're like exceptionally hot. Like there's a hot I, guy. I think I'm a very average looking guy. I would say you're, you're not ugly. No. You're not, you're not model. Right. I guess you could be a model in different certain catalogs. <laughs> <laughs> but like average white guy. Like, average white guy. Yeah, yeah. That, you'd be like the star. I remember thinking like, this guy's not a pickup artist. Right. Well, it's because nobody really knows what it is, especially because when people, especially girls, like when they, their perception of pickup artists are people who are terrible at it because they're the ones who are obvious that they're doing something. Uh, the number one thing I would get from girls I, I was dating or whatever is they'd be like, you know, normally you're not my type or like normally I'm not attracted to guys like you. hundred percent. All of us get that all the time. The kind of people that people think are pickup artists are people who don't do pickup or don't need it. What do you think in terms of social skills on the fundamental level that you really improved on for yourself to be 
good at that. Because mm-hmm. I remember when I met you, I thought because of pickup, you were a pickup artist that I would really like you. Yeah. And maybe because I'm not a girl, you didn't care as much. It certainly has improved my social skills overall. I used to be cripplingly shy, like to the point where I wouldn't have met you. To where like, you know, I had my friends and that was good. But even if a friend introduced me to a friend, that was like a little bit of an awkward situation for me. And if a friend was like, hey, meet this girl, even just like as friends, like, hey, this is my female friend, very awkward for me. Hmm. You know, it helped me a lot in that, telling stories. I used to tell really boring stories. And so how did, how did you practice? I think maybe one of the biggest takeaways for me was that I think part of the reason I was shy is I would see in movies or TV or whatever the kinds of guys that were popular in getting girls, the kind of guys that was like, oh, this is the kind of guys that girls like. And I had very little in common with them right? They're going out to clubs. They like sports. They're drinking, like all these sorts of things. They like Mustangs, right? Like the stereotypical cool guy on TV. And I was like, oh, I don't have any of these things, right? Like these, like, I don't share anything with this guy. So probably girls aren't going to like me. It wasn't even that I thought I was ugly or something. I just thought I'm an average looking guy and girls don't like any of the things that I'm into. Um, and so I just didn't show much of my personality because like, well, they're not going to like it anyway. It's not what they're looking for. And one of the big things I learned in pickup is that what you basically want to do is figure out what you're all about and share that with people in an effective way. So you can't just go on like, here are my accomplishments, here are my hobbies, right? But do it in an engaging way so people want to know what, what you're all about. And the whole point is to be your individual self and present that in the best possible way. So what's an example of that? Hey, I'm Diana. Hi. Oh, hi, Diana. No, so <laughs> no, but like if I'm a girl, so right. I, we're at a library because or maybe I'm at a tea shop. Yeah. Oh, hello. <laughs> I'm, I'm drinking my tea. Like, what, what's it, like, how does it go? Or, like, how have you changed, like, so, interact? So, so I don't think the, inner, the individual, like, hey, what's up? My name is Tyne and I want to meet you are, like, the interesting parts. But I think for, here's an example. So I lived in my RV for so long. Before pickup, I would have never told a girl that because I think, like, oh, girls will think it's cool. But then what happens is you get into pickup, you're like, well, first of all, I think my RV is awesome. So my excitement is going to translate. Even if they think it's lame, they're still going to get excited about it. Second of all, I don't want to be with a girl who doesn't think that's cool. Right. Like you think you do. But then like once you're with a few girls, it's like, oh, no, I actually want a girl who's like into the same stuff as me. And so it's things like that where it's like, well, it's something I'm proud of. Even if it's maybe not traditionally an attractive thing, I'm still going to talk about it and be excited about it. Because actually girls are just into guys who have things going on in their lives that they're excited about. How do you get that kind of confidence to be like, I got an RV and you're going to make love on an air mattress? Well, it was a, first of all, I had tatami mats like the ones you're sitting on, a beautiful Japanese futon. But you know what's funny is that the, the outside of the RV, I left looking really shabby because I didn't want people to know it was nice inside. Every time I'd bring a girl there, they'd be like, oh, like you could tell they thought they were about to get murdered. They'd see they're like, oh God. I don't think it was murdered. But yeah. Well, you know. The other one. Or robbed. <laughs> and then they get a study session. And then, then they come inside and they're like, oh, this is, really, this is a big surprise. Uh, so I, I got really lucky because I got into it in Austin and started going out, but I was really bad. How'd you get into it? With Actually, it was through my gambling thing. One of these guys, the guy who made the quarter million dollars in an hour, he was sort of like this wannabe player sort of guy. And he's like, hey, you know, check out this site. Shows me this website. And at this point, I had this crush on this girl who I'd kissed like the last day of summer vacation at the end of high school. She went off to college got a boyfriend, was like living with him. And in my mind, I was like, well, they're going to break up and we're going to be together. She's the one for me. Like I literally thought this for years. And so he shows me the site and I'm like, irrelevant. Eventually Julie and I are going to get back together. We weren't really even together. And then sort of, I forget what, like after three years, I think she got engaged. Now it just hit me. I'm like, oh, we're not getting back together. And if I keep going on this path, this is not going to be a good path for me. It's like, damn, what was that site that guy told me? It's like, I kept searching. I found it. And 
people would post advice, but they'd also post their like field reports. Like, you know, I went out to the club and I met this girl and I think she was a model. And then, you know, I started talking to her and I said this, and then we made out and she came back home with me. And it, I guess I'm a little naive or was, it never occurred to me people were exaggerating or lying. And so I, like, it just never crossed my mind. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Cause it never even occurred to me. You could learn this stuff. I just thought you have what you're born with and that's that. And Hey, you know, you'll end up with whoever you deserve and nothing you can do about it. And so I started reading a lot of this stuff, but I was so shy. I'd never been to a bar before. I'd never asked a girl for her number before. Uh, and so I was really delaying actually putting into practice. And then on this site, there was this group in Austin and they met and they would go out together. So I emailed one of them and was like, hey, you know, could I go out with you guys? How do you get the balls to do that? Not balls. How'd you I, I was very scared. Yeah, because that's a very scary. How'd you yeah. push yourself to do that in that moment? Uh, I think I was just sort of extrapolating out and I was like, okay, like I've spent a month just reading these posts. Obviously nothing's going to happen unless I actually go out there, but I was too scared to do it by myself. Both good lessons. You're like, nothing's going to happen unless I do right. something and let me get a group of people to help support me. Yeah, I think people don't like to think too far in the future. It's like, well, this is going to work for tomorrow. It's like, yeah, but if you don't change something, it's tomorrow's going to look like five, you know, five years from now is going to look like tomorrow too. Every day will look the same. Right. Unless you do something about it. Exactly. That's, that's a good lesson. Yeah, I think it's very, very valuable. Yeah, so I always, I'm always thinking about that. I'm always thinking, how can I permanently alter my trajectory? Right? Like, I don't just want to make like a little bump next week. What can I do that's going to make my life permanently better and I almost can't screw it up? Like, I'm going to learn something. I'm going to get in better shape. I'm going to change my habits. I'm going to buy something that is going to be permanent and give me an increase of life or whatever. So I met with these guys. I was, I almost didn't show up. I was so scared. I went there. It was just some guy's apartment, five, six guys sitting around in a circle. And like, literally, like a porno dude. It, well, you know, <laughs> I was probably wishing it would the be the first that thing point. that we do in, in the club is take your pants down. So we, we go around telling our stories of like, oh, you know, I've dated this girl and that was that. And, you know, I've read this post and I want you know. And I remember telling my little story and I was just like, I, my face was bright red, just not even because of the story, just talking to strangers was very hard for me back then. So then we go through this whole talk and they're like, there's a knock at the door, someone's late, door opens, and it's like one of my best friends. And he was secretly into pickup too. Both of us were so embarrassed about it, we never told the other one. And it was weird because we used to always go out to like Magnolia Cafe at night. Yeah. And he kept being busy. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you're on your computer. I, like, why won't you come to Magnolia? Turns out he was actually going out and learning this stuff. Eventually, we all go downtown. My friend and I go together. And we're sort of had this like, we have this like one-upsman thing where he's like, well, did you read this post? Do you know this technique? I'm like, yes, of course I do. Do you know this one? It's this like ridiculous thing. And we go to the club. We went to Spill on 6th Street. And the deal was we're going to meet there and then we'll kind of go down 6th Street, go to all the bars. And I show up there and I'm totally paralyzed. I mean, I'd never been in a bar before. I'm like, my heart's beating like crazy. There's people there. There's girls there. And my friend's like, all right, let's talk to some girls. And I just, I remember my brain just thinking like, come up with an excuse, come up with an excuse. And I came up with the lamest excuse ever. I was like, oh, no, we're just meeting at this bar. We're going to go talk to girls at other bars. And he gives me this look like you're the biggest idiot ever. And he talks to the four girls. There are four girls sitting at a high top next to us, and he starts talking to them. And for context, this is a guy who I became good friends with because we were both first in line for Star Wars. Like a mutual <laughs> friend set up this camp, and we camped out for two weeks for Star Wars. So I think he's a cool guy, but he's not a traditionally cool guy. And he was talking to these four, guy, four girls, and they were listening to him and like smiling, and it blew my mind. And plus, I just felt good that I wasn't part of it, that I'd gotten out of it. And then he points, he's like, oh, my friend Tynan, right there, come here. And I had no choice. I go in there, start talking to these girls. We start talking about rap music. I literally don't do a single thing that I'd read because I'm way too paralyzed. 
The guy who was running the meeting thing at his house comes over. He's the least subtle guy I've ever met. Whispers in a very loud voice in my ear, Hey, dude, she's into you. Ask for her number. She hears this, stares at me. And I'm like, so, uh, do you want to hang out sometime? Maybe I could get your number. Not an attractive girl. I had no interest in her. She gave me her number. And I was just like, oh my God, this, this stuff works. This is real. Even though I hadn't really done any of it, it, just, it blew my mind that I could talk to a girl and get her number. And if that first approach had gone bad, maybe I would have never gotten into it. But it was just, it blew my mind. But as you know, like when I get into something, I get into things really hard. And so I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, like, let's get serious about it. And I ended up going to this conference in Chicago that ended up being sold out. But I met some of these pickup artist guys. And one of them thought that I was good at it, which was really weird because he never actually saw me talk to any girls. But it was this weird situation where everybody thought I was a friend of somebody else who was good. So they all assumed I was good at it. Why? Uh, it's because I got there at 7 in the morning because I didn't want to miss anything. And I called the one guy I kind of knew online, and, he, and I asked if he was awake. And he's, I'd woken him up. He's like, oh, no, but I think Mike is awake. Introduces me to this guy, Mike. Then another pickup artist wakes up, and he sees me and Mike hanging. He's like, oh, well, he must be Mike's friend. Another guy comes. He's like, oh, he must be either Mike or Tyler's friend. So by the end of the day, everybody just thought I was one of them. And so they were letting me sit in on their workshop. They were, like, going out with me. But they were so busy running their workshops, they never saw me talk to a girl. These are the organizers of the conference? Uh, they were the guys from Real Social Dynamics, a pickup company, who they were there sort of, I think they were helping out with the conference and kind of piggybacking on it to do like infield workshops at night. I thought it was unintentionally clever that you connected with the people who were the hubs, right? So if you go to an event, find the person who's the organizer or find someone who's the organizer's helper and then connect with them and help them and just befriend them. And one, one thing I've learned that's very similar to that, especially when I came to Silicon Valley, I wanted to get into the tech scene, but I was nothing in the tech scene. I didn't know anything. But a lot of tech guys were interested in pickup. And so I could make myself useful to them and pick up, and then I'd get into those circles. That's great. So in this particular case, I just got lucky, but I think the general principle that is actionable. That's really good. Because sometimes you're intimidated. You're like, oh, this guy's like a big tech guy. Like, I have nothing to contribute on that level. But it's like, well, he's not looking for things on that level. He's already that guy. But there's other things. They might but there's use. other things, and you're probably going to be good at one of them. It's funny that you, as you said that, someone actually emailed me a few months ago, and they're like, hey, I really like your stuff. Why don't you come try cryotherapy, where you sit in like the cold uh, ice shower? That was what they could offer. Not necessarily has right. to be a material thing. It could even be like a knowledge thing that you think they'd be interested in. Yep. So you, you go to the conference. You connect with these guys. And so all of them sort of think that I'm one of them. Okay. And one of the guys, this guy named Papa, he ran this thing called Mysteries Lounge, which was supposed to be the top 100 pickup artists in the world. And he just assumed I was one of them. And he's like, oh, we got to get you on Mysteries Lounge. And this was like this fabled place that everybody in the public forums wanted to go on. And I'm like, yeah, of course. And so he adds me to this thing. I'm easily like the worst. Do you even thing. know what it is? Oh, everybody knows. What's the lounge? It, it was just like a private forum. Oh, it's like the next level of the forum. So like it's like the Centurion Lounge VIP. Exactly. It's the one that you want. I want that VIP. But this was the top of the top. It was all the best pickup artists sharing all their best stuff. And they, it's like, if you, were, if you were in one of their cities, they would, like, take you out, put you up, because you were part of this club. How much different was the knowledge at the advanced level versus the beginner and intermediate level? What was uh, the difference? I'd say it was just more focused. There's a lot of people at the, like, middle level or, like, low level where they're, like, they'd be like, oh, look at this great thing. Try this routine. It's like, yeah, but have you actually talked to a girl and tried that? A lot of people are going for, like, it's much easier to pretend you've talked about it and get internet fame than it is to go talk to 100 girls and see how they react when you try something. And so all the guys in Mysteries Lounge were actually doing it, whereas it was a mix on the other forms. Not only do they have the good information, they know which information is important and which you can discard. Well, so, it, so once I got in this lounge, basically they were buying this house in L.A. or renting this house in L.A. for the best pickup artists in the world. And they were like, hey, we've got four out of five rooms booked. 
anybody in the lounge is eligible to take the last room. And I immediately emailed. I had a house in Austin. I had all this stuff going on. Literally, as soon as I saw that, I emailed. I was like, why did you just do that right then? I remember at the time thinking, if I don't do this, I'll always wonder what would have happened with my life if I did. If I do do it and it's a total disaster, I can deal with that. Or maybe it'll be amazing. But if I don't do it, I will always wonder. Because it was, I knew it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Doesn't mean it was an opportunity for me. Doesn't mean it would all work out perfectly. But it's just like, this is not going to happen again. And if I don't do it, maybe I'll wish I did. And so I just got very lucky. I moved out there. I was the only, my only qualifications that I replied first. And those guys just all took me under their wings. And one of the biggest things that helped me is I remember the very first night we go out, I actually was, you know, 24 hour drive there. I was kind of sleep deprived by the end. And I just thought, oh, I wonder if these guys are going to teach me anything. Maybe they just see me as a way of like supplementing the rent. Maybe this isn't like what I think it is. I get there and mystery is there. He'd just come back from the clubs. He's like, oh, you must be herbal. Well, Better get you up to speed. Let's go. And he takes me back out to the club. And we walk into this club. And what we used to do in Austin is we would get in there and it would be like this huddle of men. And it's like, all right, I'm going to go talk to this girl. It's like, all right, man, you go do that. I'll come in five minutes later. I walk into the club with mystery and he's gone. He just like, as soon as we walk in, he goes and talks to a girl. And it's the expectation was you walk in, you go talk to a girl. There's none of this like, there's no time to like be like, oh, should I do it? It's like, you just do it. You just jump into the So pool. no hesitation. No hesitation. And just the... The big thing for me at that place was the expectation of excellence was so much higher. In Austin, it was expected that you were just going to be bad at it and dick around and not get results and like it didn't matter. There it was like, dude, we're doing this for a reason. Like if you're out here, like go talk to a girl and do something about it. Don't even think about whether you should do it. Just go do it. One, I think that's an insanely amazing point. So like who you're surrounding yourselves with, right? These guys expected excellence versus Austin. It was like, okay, you're doing fine. Yeah, it was like a, it was like a casual intramural thing in Austin and there I was like no this is like the pro leagues I guess I am curious like why did these guys do it do you think they just want to get laid and validate that the high school was shitty for them but now they can fuck the girls or what I think there's different reasons for different people I think I think the people who get the most into it are driven most by insecurity because it's like one of those things where you can never quite prove to yourself that you you deserve these girls or whatever but most of the students who get in just want a girlfriend like number one I'd say 80 to 90 percent just want a girlfriend some people want to be players, but even the people who think they want to be players, so common, first girl they get, it's like the two-year relationship. Because it's, it's a lot of virgins, it's a lot of guys who, you know, had like one girlfriend, broke their heart. A lot of uh, divorced people who are like, I haven't dated in 20 years, I don't know how it's done. But for the instructors, I don't know, Mystery was in love with every girl he ever met. He just wanted love so bad, and he never really found it. But, you know, like Neil, who wrote the game, he, he's married now, he found love. Like, people want that partner, but... They want to choose who it is. They don't want it to be like whoever they end up with because they were playing musical chairs. That's a lot of what it was for me too. Uh, you know, there'd be times like girls who I liked would like me like that girl who, you know, then got like married to this guy, but it was, I was totally helpless to meet her. It was like, we happened to be at a party at the same time. She happened to talk to me. She happened to like the same things I was interested in. So she liked me. Whereas I would feel like I had zero chance with a random girl that I chose. So for me, it, was, it wasn't like I wanted to sleep with a million girls. It wasn't even like I wanted a girlfriend. It was like I just felt like I was helpless and had no control. And it was like if I just keep going down this path, I'm floating down the river and I'm just eventually going to latch onto a rock. But it's not going to be the rock I choose. It comes back to like controlling your life and taking yeah. ownership of it. And so you felt like if you could build the confidence, you can go say, that's a girl I'm interested in or I want to talk to this one and see where it goes versus you just letting something come to you. Exactly. Yeah, I just want to be proactive about it. And I just felt so passive and that I didn't even know how to start being proactive. 
What do you think skill-wise, or was it more just like experience, like, hey, I just kept talking to women and that's what improved it? Or was it you looked in the mirror and you said, I love you, Tynan, every morning? Or I've been doing that since birth. No, it's, uh, I mean, it's really experience. Like, I've never seen anybody who's actually good at it who hasn't spent a year doing just about nothing but that. For people who don't want to be a pickup artist but want to improve that social skill or want to get better and more feel more confident about it, like, what can they do? Or what can I do? A is you have to be proud of who you are. And so you either work on that by becoming a person you can be proud of, or by recognizing what you have done and the thing, you know, the connections you've made in your life, the things you've built, the work you've created, the person you've been to your friends and family. I think you have to be proud of who you are. You can't sell a product you don't believe in, right? That is so great. Yeah. That is a really strong message. People love enthusiasm because people, a lot of people don't have that much enthusiasm in their life. Because think about it, most people have jobs they don't really like. They have very boring activities that they're doing by default. It's like nobody's excited about a TV show they just watched, and that's what most people do. And so when somebody comes across somebody who's doing interesting things, following what they really want to do in their life, it's people love that. Girls, guys, I mean, everybody loves that. Is there any crazy story you haven't shared online? Took a girl off Jeremy Piven one time. That was, there's not too much to it. It's just like you just kind of do your normal. There was, there was this phase we went through where we sort of learned how to deal with very aggressive guys. So sometimes you'd be talking to a girl and an aggressive guy would come and he would just like steal your girl and you didn't really know what happened. And so one guy, this guy, Tyler, he's like, I'm just going to learn how to handle this. And so he just like learned how to deal with those guys. And then we all got kind of obsessed with it where we would then be the aggressive guys. Oh, so you just go to girls that are with a guy? Yeah. Very, very common. You, you go approach a couple like all the time. That's common? That. That's not common to me. Yeah. I mean, we would all the time. Okay. There was a phase where we would kind of only approach couples. Okay, and then what, what would you... How, what it was just... Well, I'm part of it is that they're probably drinking, so you're just going to be sharper. You can sort of bog a guy down by talking about very logical stuff, and then you talk about emotional stuff with the girl, and it creates this disconnect where then they're sort of on these different wavelengths. When they... Basically, any guy will insult you, and if you just like show that it doesn't affect you, that's extremely attractive, but it also pisses him off because it doesn't work, so he keeps trying to do it more and keeps digging that divide. I think Jeremy Pippen didn't care too much about the girl, so it was like kind of an easy one. Yeah. But I remember at the time thinking like, wow, I'm like a dude who got his first girlfriend because he memorized a lot of digits of pi. And like, I'm like not a cool person. I just stole a girl from a movie star. How much time did you put into this? That was all I did for a year. Literally all I did. So you'd wake up? Talk about it with my friend. I mean, first of all, I'm waking up at like 4 p.m. Because you guys were out all night? Because we were out all night. How'd you stay up? Because you don't do drugs, you don't drink. It was, we were just on a different sleep schedule. I mean, clubs close at two. Hopefully, you're at least going to dinner with a girl after that. So you're probably not getting home till four. Things go really well. Maybe you're not going to bed till like six. Because so. you're up talking, obviously. Because you're up talking about your dreams. For all your cousins who are listening. Right. Yeah, your dreams, your hopes, like your childhood. Right. Daddy issues. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I told you I'd bring up daddy issues. <laughs> That's true. You did promise that. So we were just all on the schedule. Like nobody was waking up. All right. Before. So you get up at four. You talk about the night before. You yeah. Talk about I mean, you just you know we'd waste time too. But you know, or maybe you'd be dating someone. You go out with them in the afternoon because you kind of don't want them to take up your evening time. L.A. was the worst about flakes. So you'd just be calling girls constantly. This is before anybody texted. So you just you'd, you'd have like just a list of girls who hadn't responded or you needed to call. And you just we would all go. Through, we'd go to our rooms, go through our lists, call all the girls. The thing that was really like striking for me uh, as you're talking about this towards the end is just like. Anything you want to be good at or great at or the best at, like how much are you putting into it? Well, and because you met 10 girls, right? It's like you met 100 girls and like one of them you got and if she was the only girl you met, you would feel like it was extremely lucky. But it's like, well, maybe you got unlucky that 50 of those didn't like, you know? Yeah. 
Well, I think it's interesting. And my, my, my main point that I took away from this is like, hey, I want to be really good at mountain biking. How much am I mountain biking? One, one hour a week? Okay, you're not going to be that great. You're going to be great at anything that takes a lot of effort and practice. Yeah, it's like, like we were talking about earlier, like looking at that path. It's like, oh, if, I, if this is what I keep doing, I'm never going to be good at mountain biking. So you either accept that or you change it. Yeah. But you don't just keep going on like, well, maybe I will, though. It's like, no, you know you won't. I, one thing I was wondering is the pickup artist like, versus a normal guy out at a bar, like, what are they doing so much differently? I think the difference on average is a pickup artist is going in, and he's there only to talk to girls. He's not there to drink. He's not there to hang out with his buddies. He's there to talk to girls. And maybe he's there with his buddies, and he's having a good time, too, hopefully. And like, you know, often what you do is you meet a girl, he meets a girl, you bring them together, and then the four of you have fun together, whatever. But it's, very, it's more purposeful, for sure. Uh, I think your pickup artist is also analyzing the situation much more closely to see what he can learn from it and what he can change next time. So instead of like, oh, yeah, it's weird. I thought it was going well with that girl, but yeah, I guess not. It's like, okay, well, where did I lose her? Like, she talked to me at first, or she turned around when I tried to, you know. At some point, it was going well, and then it didn't. What happened? And when you're going out every single night, you're talking to probably an average when you start of 12 girls every night, you have such a data set in your mind that you know what went wrong. Yeah. After a while. I mean, it takes a while. That's such a good life lesson. Oh, so many of these. No, but it's one of these things that even happens at sumo.com. Plugged. um, About debriefing. So a lot of times, like if an email goes out and we don't get any sales, it's like, okay, well, that email didn't work. It's like, no, well, why didn't it work and how do we make the next email better? Exactly. Or I had a bad interview yesterday with my buddy Ian. It's like, well, what did you do wrong? I was like, well, I didn't prep anything. Right? And it's easy, I think, I think where people miss the thing is everything in life that happens that's bad is a good opportunity to grow. And I hate cheesy shit like that, but like you go out and actually try to improve it for the next time. Yeah, I always think like when something bad happens to you, like you've really earned that lesson. You may as well take it. Like that sucks when things go bad. So you may as well get a lesson out of it because you've put in, you've taken the loss, right? So like you've paid, may as well get that yeah. lesson back. How do you think it's impacted you today? How do you think it's stayed with you? Because I know a lot of times for me, I'll learn something, get really into it, learn it a lot. And then I remember some of it, but I guess how has it lingered now? How many years later? I mean, pickup has a hundred percent changed my life. Like I have better relationships with my friends, with girls, with my family, like with everybody. I've, uh, I don't know if there's a way in which it hasn't changed my life. I never really thought so much about like, what's this person getting out of this conversation? Where are they at? Like, how are they interpreting this emotionally? Not this information, but like, how do they feel about this conversation? And now I always have that going in my mind. And it's not even like I'm thinking about it. I just know how people are thinking when I'm talking to them. And so I think that enables you to have better conversations, to cut things off when things are boring, to connect with strangers better. You know, Because that's like, when you connect with a stranger, it's very, it can go bad so quickly, right? You can bore them. There's no, there's no investment, so it's always so easy to leave. But if you're really keyed into them and you see they're getting bored, you switch to something else. If you see they want to talk, you just let them talk. Even probably my writing has changed, right? Because I can think more about the reader. I can tell stories. I used to be so bad at telling stories. I remember one time in pickup when I first got into it, we were in this bar and a friend and I went to talk to these three girls. And I start telling a story and I immediately know it's a bad story, but I don't know how to fix it. I just remember 10 seconds in thinking, oh God, this story sucks. And then one of the three girls kind of you know, turns around and wanders off. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. There's still two of them. There's two of us. This is good. Keep telling the story. And I just, you know, I can tell I'm like crashing into the mountain. Another one turns away. I'm like, oh God, this is bad. Okay, well, I, I was the one who started talking to these girls. There's only one girl left. My friend can leave. That's fine. And then mid-sentence, she turns around. It's just like me and her. And she turns around <laughs> mid-sentence. It never actually affected me, but the anticipation of it affected me a lot. So... I would get very scared to approach a girl because I'd think, oh, God, I'm going to get rejected. It's going to be so horrible. And then every time I got rejected, I never cared. But still, the next time, I'd be terrified again. 
Unless you go out, if, if you go out three or four days in a row, it kind of numbs it. But is there a life lesson here, Noah? That might be a life lesson. What I like to do is repeat it because what I've noticed when I listen to shows is that I generally take away one or two messages or it inspires me to go somewhere related to my own empathetic life. And it's it's like, well, hey, a lot of times the things that are, are scary aren't as scary once you go do them. Yeah. You do it a Almost few more times. Almost always, really. Almost always, huh? And then so how did you transition out of pickup or wh- where did that, when did you retire that the official working of it? So like the big plot or in the second half of the game is that I ended up quote unquote stealing Mystery's girlfriend and dating her. And then the whole house just became this drama. I mean, that, that whole year of my life was the most dramatic year of my life by far. More cumulative drama there than the rest of my life total. And were you still gambling during the time? Yeah, but I'd sort of outsourced most of it at that point. So I was doing literally okay. just almost nothing. Um, and so I was dating this girl and... The one that was Mystery's girlfriend. The one that was Mystery's girlfriend. And it was but you guys have so many girls. It's like when you lose one kid. I'm like, you got 10. Right, exactly. Who has 10 kids? I don't know. Now I feel bad for someone who's like, oh, I lost a kid. No, it's a dick. Especially someone who had 10 other kids. He's got so many girls. He can share one. People always ask me if the book is true because it's so crazy. The game. The for game. everybody listening in. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea. Like, not only is it true, but way more crazy. Like, the original book was much longer. I'm still really curious about how do you live today, okay. right? Because you, you travel the world, you have a place in Vegas that you bought cash, you own a place in Budapest, you own an island in, off Canada. I make money from my books, maybe a couple thousand a month from the books. Really? From Amazon sales? Yeah. Just um, like people find word of mouth or how do they hear about it? I guess I don't, my theory, which is not really based on anything, is that it's, it's not coming from my blog. It comes from my blog day one or two, but I think what happens is I get enough people from my blog buying it day one or two that it shows up in the recommendations engine. And my books generally get very good reviews, so I think that that helps the recommendations. And I think it's just, if you bought this book, you bought this one too. Um, the Habit book does fantastic. Like It was number one in its category again last month after two years of being out. Uh, my most recent book did terribly. I think I've made like 200 bucks on it or something. Like Terrible, terrible. It's called Around the World and 15 Friends. I wrote 15 stories of like adventures and crazy stories of people I met around the world. Yeah. I think it's my most fun book by far. Like nobody bought it. That's interesting. What's interesting seeing that in the Habit book? Uh, I think the Habit book is, uh, for one, it's everybody has habits and most people don't have perfect habits. Nobody has perfect habits. So it's like universally applicable. I think people like spending money on things that'll make them better. Um, and then, so the habit book did a little bit better than the social skills book. I think the social skills book is better personally because I think it's more important. Like there's other habit books out there. Obviously I think mine is the best or I wouldn't have written it, but like there's nobody else talking about social skills like I am. But I think it's embarrassing for people to buy a social skills book and it's not embarrassing to buy a habit book. So I make money from like Kindle sales, paperback sales, uh, uh, audiobook sales are probably like 500 of that. That's surprising. Yeah. So if anybody has a thing, like think about new channels or new mediums for selling something. Yeah. I mean, I, it was a lark really. I I had one friend and he said, oh yeah, you know, I, I make more off, off audible than anything else. So I set up a fake little recording studio with couch cushions. I bought that microphone, the same one that you have. ATR, the Audio Technica 2100. Yeah. Which now I use mostly for karaoke, karaoke and, uh, recorded in two days and it makes, you know, good money. Uh, cruise sheet does like about 2000 a month. Then cruise sheet is like a kayak for cruises. Right. So it's the best cruise search engine for sure. Uh, and that, you know, I think if you look at the graph, it's up and down, but kind of slowly growing. Uh, now I do this coaching thing, which I just started. I mean, I've had one client for over a year and didn't really think of it as a business. And then I figured I'd get like two or three people that would want to do it because like fairly expensive. And I have a waiting list of like 20 something people now. From your email to your audience, right? From my email to my audience. And you're coaching on habits and stuff like that? Yeah, so it's so I think the two big things are 
building sustainable habits that you're just always, like we were talking about earlier, always making your life permanently better. So when I coach people, I'm like, you have to do a minimum six months so I can like do that slow burn and build a habit that you're just never going to leave. Um, and then the second thing is social skills. So a lot of people, they just want bigger friend groups, better friend groups. It's interesting because I'm thinking about my brother. So what gives Tynan the right to teach anyone about habits? Like, why is he qualified yeah. to teach about habits? Yeah, like, I definitely have no formal criteria. And when I was writing the book, I would get that criticism, like, well, you don't know about anything about any studies and all this. I'm like, well, you know, people cherry pick these studies to support whatever their point is. I come, you know, I go search any studies you want. But I used to have really bad habits. Like, I had very poor work habits, really poor work habits. Um, and, like how bad? Like weeks when I would just like do zero work and would like procrastinate forever. In school, I would never write a paper. I never studied once. Would never do a paper before like the night before. Um, and it was one of those things where I look at my trajectory. I was like, oh, this is not like this is not going to lead me to where I want to be. Like it's very obvious that people who have higher levels of success are getting more of what they want. Actually, have good habits, and that's like the differentiator. Um, so I just focused on it in the same way I did with pickup for a year. I probably did like that same time when I only had like five things I was allowed to do. I read all the books about habits. I implemented habits. I would track everything. And so it's more just like, if I can take myself from having terrible habits to really good habits, basically anybody can. And I wasn't even advertising to coach anybody. This girl contacted me and I kind of agreed to do it. And then I saw the impact it had on her. I was like, okay, well, I'll take on more people. What was the hardest habit for you? I mean, probably work or sleep. Work and sleep were both really hard ones. For years, for my entire life, I had terrible sleep habits. And it was, if you look back on my blog, every year I do like, what are my goals for the year? For so many years, it was like, go to bed earlier, wake up earlier, come to terms with the fact that I'm never going to have a good sleep schedule. Like literally, I would say things like that because I had almost given up on it. That was an easy one. Just turn off all your screens at midnight and solved it. But I had to try that, a lot of, that solved my sleep schedule overnight. So just making sure you don't have your phone near you or Kindle or computer. Even Kindle's okay. Kindle on low brightness, no computer. For me, it was computer. Because I think one of the important things about sleep is consistent sleep. Consi you, like same, roughly same time to go to bed, wake up eight hours or whatever your personal number is every day. Yeah. But I would be like super excited about work and I'd be like, hey, this is productive. I should stay up as late as I want, 4 a.m. But then what I noticed, I started tracking this and I realized like, oh, if I do that, my next two days, my productivity is like a three out of 10. So it's not worth it, even though it feels like it's worth it at the time. Um, so yeah, so like I, I just knew it was important. I kept struggling with it. And so you kept experimenting with different things. Kept experimenting too. with different things. It's interesting with sleep. It's been, I don't think people realize how important it is. It's like a foundation of a house. Like if you have a shitty oh, foundation, so you can't build a house. It's the same thing with the day. Like if you have a bad sleep, you can't have a good day. Yeah. I think a lot of my life is very, very easy. I think a lot of that is because of these things that nobody thinks about where it's like, I, I get really good sleep. I eat really healthy food. I only hang out with positive people who are like good people. And it's like, if you do that, and you just kind of run on autopilot for the rest, your life's probably going to be pretty good. It's funny how simple that is. Because you make it yeah. so simple, but frankly, it is. And most but, people but, aren't doing it. Yeah, we overcomplicate that. Like, even the sleep thing, like, it's like, oh, well, I, you know, I like having this, or I like having that. It's like, well, try it some other way and see what, how it goes. Yeah, and if you don't like it after a month, great, go back. Go back. But yeah, I mean, think about, I mean, you've, you've got all these habits, too, probably better. I mean, you're waking up at 5 in the morning, I'm not. So, like... What does it make me better? Well, what, I mean, you're more disciplined about it, at least right now, than I am, for sure. Because, you know, you go in and out of these things. But think about, like, what your life would be like if you were going out drinking three to four nights a week, staying up till four sometimes, but then having to wake up at, like, seven other days for work and eating junk food all the time. Like, could you run your business and, like, your life the way you are? 
No, I was doing that. And I don't think I was going to the extreme of drinking every night. But I, I think one thing people should do if they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm at a plateau. Just do the complete opposite. So do a 180. Like you're like, hey, I don't know this. So stay up all night. Get really drunk. <laughs> don't do any work. And then see how your life is. And then you're like, man, life is not as good anymore. And then you could be like, oh, actually, it wasn't so bad. Don't divorce your wife just because one day is bad. You just ruined a lot of lives with yeah, that quote. all these people. But I think there's something there with trying out a 180 on certain activities. Like, do you think that's important to have a better sleep? That's one of those things I was talking about where it's like, yeah, it cost you a few thousand bucks and all this time experimenting, but now you have a permanent life upgrade because you, you can always have that bed. And I love things like that where it's like, I'm going to put in the work, I'm going to put in the money, and people are going to think it's ridiculous. It's like, why is he obsessing about his sleep? Why do you spend $2,000 on a mattress? But it's like, you don't understand. I never have to think about this again. And I'm just going to be getting great sleep. And that's going to have this, this like uh, compounding effect for the rest of my life. What are the things you spend the most time on? So focusing on the essentials. That's the phrase that's been in my head over and over and over again. I have all these clothing. I'm like, what am I really wearing? I wear these clothes, throw the rest of it, give it away. Let other people have it. Or in the business, uh, I removed a hundred out of my 130 YouTube videos. So I only have 30. Oh, wow. Same with my articles in Okie Dork. I used to have 700. Now I have 139. Mm-hmm. And I think if you focus on less things and you focus on the important things, like you can make them higher quality and increase your happiness because that's what you're really focused on. Well, you know what's weird is I think a lot of times people feel like their life has to be uniform. So it's like you can't buy a very Ooh. fancy bed unless the rest of your stuff is fancy. That's really interesting. Right? Whereas, like, especially when I lived in the RV, people had no idea what to make of me. Because on one hand, I'm living literally on the streets in a vehicle. But I'm also <laughs> and, wearing a Rolex, right? And so it's in like a van down by the river? Oh, I've never heard that joke before. Oh, shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> never? People always think like, oh, I can't have, your life has to increase at the same pace. It's like, no, think about what matters to you and totally maximize that. If it's not disproportionate, I think you're not really thinking about it. Life lesson. That was good. It should be disproportionately to the things that matter to you. More for that and then less on the things that you're like, actually don't give a fuck about. Right. Or you're kind of a sheep, probably. Yeah. One of the most powerful things that I'm, it's literally, it'll never end for me is self-awareness. That's another one of those permanent things. When you understand yourself better, that understanding gets applied for the rest of your life. I feel like there's like the haves and the haves nots of the have nots. The first story that comes to mind, I, I met a guy who he was a construction worker and he was just like, I love being a construction worker because I have my mind to myself. My body's for them, but my mind's for myself. Oh, and I just love that he like knew himself well enough to be able to make that choice versus like, I just need a job and I can yeah. do manual labor. Huh, that's really interesting. All right, so you're making like 5K a month. You don't live a super expensive lifestyle. Like you bought your place in Vegas. That's the thing is everything I do, I just... I try to do things that'll save me money for the rest of my life or make my life permanently better. So like I bought this place in Vegas and now I never have, I'll never have to pay rent again for my life. I mean, maybe I'll want to, maybe I'll go to live in New York for a year or something, but I'll never have to. You just pay the, what, the HOA is like a hundred bucks a month or something? Yeah, 170. One thing that you talked about, I would like to highlight is the 5%. Maybe about a year ago, felt like I was, maybe not stingy, but I just felt like I wasn't a generous person but that I really admired generous people. And so I thought, well, okay, well, if I admire these people, I want to become more generous. How do I do that? Always trying to build a habit or some sort of system. And so I decided, I think for six months, it's been a lot longer than that now, that I would give 5% of my monthly income. I have a little spreadsheet where I track it. 5%, whatever I made last month, 5%, I'm going to give away the next month in just whatever way I want. So friends, family, strangers, whatever. And so I did that for a while. And then I started trying to do it. Like you get excited about it, it becomes a game. And so you try to see like, okay, so I've got like a few hundred bucks, like how can I really make this count a lot? And so I would do things like I would give somebody a gift, but I would say it's from somebody else so that then I've, for that same amount of money, I've gotten to give two people a gift. Plus I've built goodwill because then they think it came from the other person. (laughs) And you like tell one person they came from another person? 
it's fun because you sort of feel like a gift to Ninja where you're like, haha, they have no idea. And I like that you budget the money. That gives you freedom. Because mm-hmm. you're like, I know that this 5% is, has to go away. Right. Before that, I would think about like buying something for somebody and I would be like about to do it and I'd think, oh, but there's that thing I want. And I should just use that money and buy that thing I want because I'm not buying that thing for myself. So why should I buy X for them? But when you take that 5% out, then it becomes this game where you're like, well, it's not my money anyway. Let's just give it out somehow. It's already gone. What's fun about it is that you start thinking about Okay, I've got 500 bucks. How can I generate the most awesomeness for other people out of that 500 bucks? Oh, that's cool. And it's I, now I love doing it. And all of a few friends and I would do this and we'd send each other notes on, on how we did it. And it sort of became this competition of how awesome of a thing you could do for roughly the same amount of money. <laughs> that's awesome. And yeah, it really changes your mindset. And now, even now, I don't even track it because I always go over that amount. And it's changed how I think about giving money to people. Because now I'm like, oh, I could do this for this person. That would have such a huge impact. I tried to buy my brother a flight to Budapest. I was going to surprise my family because they're going to be there. So I wasn't going to tell them that he was coming. It was going to be this like double thing. Um, and so your brain just starts thinking that way. Whereas before I would just think like, that's ah, 500 bucks. I'd rather just keep it for myself. How do you feel differently now that you're in that mindset? I think I have a better idea of how my money can impact other people. Your money kind of gets multiplied by the kindness factor of like, oh, somebody was thinking of me. I can buy like a lot of happiness for somebody else for not that much money. What's interesting as you're talking about it is that I already started negotiating with myself. I was like, all right, I'm gonna commit to do it in March. Cause look, think about like taxes. It's like, you're gonna, like if, if your taxes went up or down by 5%, it, like you wouldn't like it, but it's not an enormous deal. All right, I commit to March. Yeah, you'll feel great if you give out 500 bucks. I will give out 5% of whatever I make from salary in March. Awesome, that's pretty wild, okay. It's super fun. You, you have to tell me even if it's secretly how you did it. You said the most interesting thing is Budapest. I've always wanted to have a private island. I remember that this started in high school. I had a friend who got Rob Report. There's a picture in the back of an island for sale. Back in the day, it was one and a half million. It was a perfect Caribbean island with a big long dock. I saw this and I just always wanted to have my own island since high school. Okay. And I'd say of the people I mentioned this to, zero girls have this fantasy. And like 50% of guys do and 50% of guys are like, it's just land that's hard to get to. So there's a site called privateislandsonline.com. And I would just Every few months, I'd look at it, sort by lowest price. And the problem was the cheap ones are in the middle of the South Pacific. You have to take a $1,000 flight to, to Tahiti. Then you need to charter a plane to some little island and then hire someone to take you by boat. It takes you like three days and like $3,000. And then there are some that were closer, like in the Caribbean or like off the coast of Maine, but they'd be like hundreds of thousands of dollars, like 500 to a million. And then a friend of mine, he sends me this link. He's like, hey, have you ever seen the site Private Islands Online? I'm like, dude, this is my life. Trust me. They're either too expensive or they're too far away. Can't be done. And he's like, oh, that's weird. The ones in Canada seem pretty reasonable. And I'd never checked the Canada section because I checked Maine and I was like, well, Canada will just be the same. What's the point? So got very obsessed with this, spent like 24 hours just looking for islands online. I, I think there was one point where I probably was aware of every single island for sale in Canada on any site. And there were a few that were like 150, like, uh, like just under 100,000 to like 150,000. And I was like, okay, that's, that's in the range of doable if I split it with friends. And really, I would have wanted to have it for myself. I wanted to have my own island so I could be King Tynan. But I was like, okay, the way this can happen is if I split it with friends, so I'll do that. So I sent an email out, found the perfect island, got my friends in, and put an offer in and bought this island, sight unseen. So we bought this island, and it got on Reddit, got on Hacker News, because I think a lot of people have this fantasy of buying an island. And all of the comments were like, you guys are going to hate each other. It's going to be like Lord of the Flies. There's going to be too many arguments. You're going to want to sell it and all these things. And it ended up being easily the best money I've ever spent. It turns out having this island with your friends is way better than having the island by yourself. If right now you told me like, hey, you can snap your fingers and it can be all yours, 
and your friends won't resent you, they just never had anything to do with it, I wouldn't take that. I'm, I'm glad my friends own a piece of it. Because, for one, now everybody wants to do work on it. So we go there and everybody's motivated to make it better. It's so cheap because you split it so many times that you know that it's forever. The first time we're there, we're cutting trails. It's super dense forest, and there are all these big fallen trees that we had to saw with a rusty handsaw that the previous owner had left. And if I'm renting this island, there's no way I'm cutting this thing. Or if I have like a two-year lease, five-year lease, I'm not doing it. But I'm like, well, hey, we're gonna. Have, this thing's so cheap. We were never selling it. We're gonna have it forever. I'm cutting this for my grandkids and my friends' grandkids. How did you feel when you first saw it? We drove from Boston, so it was a 10-hour drive. We didn't realize that there was a time zone change. So we thought we had an hour and a half to get to the island from the shore. It turns out we had half an hour because the sun is setting. And obviously, you don't want to buy a boat before you've actually paid for the island. So I bought a boat on Amazon, an inflatable kid's boat that you're supposed to have in like a swimming pool or a lake. (laughs) (laughs) And there were four of us guys in it, two paddles. How far away is the island? Quarter mile, so it's not very far. You can see it from shore easily. And so we get in this boat, and it's, a, and it's a hurricane, by the way. Huge, choppy waves, massive wind, so foggy that like you can't see that far in front of you. The closest neighbor on the mainland kind of saw what was going on, and he's like, uh, I'll just I'll take you guys out there. Don't, don't take that boat out there. And so we get out to the island, and I actually had no idea how big it was going to be. It's five acres, and I kind of in my mind had it very small. I thought it was going to be really tiny. And we get there, I'm like, and it has, it had a huge, it has huge elevation change, probably goes up 50 or 100 feet in the middle, a big hill. And it's like, whoa, this is way better than I thought it was going to be. And I was basically ready to settle for any island. I mean, give me a rock in the water and I'm pretty happy. And I was like, whoa, this is like a real island. And I'll never forget getting off that boat and standing on the, the rock, it has a rocky beach, and just thinking like, oh my God, we actually, it's, it's like we were saying earlier, it's like, I feel like somebody should stop me from doing this because I'm definitely about to buy an island and this is a very weird feeling, but we did it. Uh, and then we were really excited to explore the forest. The forest is so dense, you literally can't go into it. It's tiny little pine trees that are a few inches apart, so it's like jail cell bars and you can't even push your way through it. Uh, so we had to cut a trail the next day to even see inside. Where'd you sleep that night? Uh, there was a, a partially cleared spot near the beach that the previous owner had done. We actually were going to camp on the, the real beach um, it turns out that area has the biggest tide changes in the world, about six feet, a little over six feet from low to high. And our fire pit got totally covered in water by like three feet. So we, we moved up to his clearing. How do you decide the unusual things you want to do? Uh, I have a strong bias for doing unusual things. Just is there like a website like unusualthingstodo.com or something? No, because that's the whole point is that the whole point is that you just have this idea like, oh, I should buy an island. And then I think the the gut response is like, oh, that's crazy. Forget it. I'm going to go eat a cheeseburger. Mm. But I'm always like, oh, maybe it's actually possible. Maybe it's not. But let's, you know, let's just find out. Like right now I have one I haven't quite figured out, but I want to buy a Bentley. Okay. Because two th- early 2000 Bentleys are the most number one most depreciated car in the world. They used to be a quarter million dollars each. Beautiful like lamb's wool carpets, handmade engine, burlwood table trays that come down. Now you, I saw one for 22 grand the other day. The whole point is explore your curiosity. Don't do what yes. the generally, it's like, oh, this is the extreme thing. Let's go do it because it's extreme. It's like, no, do something because it's interesting to you, even if you don't think it'll be interesting to anybody else. Really great YouTube channel. You'll love this. Have you seen Coolest Thing Ever? No. It's profiles of people who have built cool things. Like one guy built an entire Western village in his backyard by hand only hand tools no power tools like it has a saloon a four bed like a four bed hotel it's very inspiring to me because i'm like oh these people are taking it to a level i haven't even I, taken it to i think for anyone listening it's just like go explore your curiosity something that you've kind of been noodling on and like how do you get that going today my brother always says like he wants to be a professor he's a doctor and he wants to he's like i love teaching i'm like 
He's like, yeah, but it's my encore career. I'll do it in 20 years when I'm finally retired. Or maybe they get hit by a bus. Like, just do and, it. Yeah, and I was, it, I was like, obviously don't quit your job and not support your family. Because <laughs> then I'd have to take care of his wife. And <laughs> yeah, I don't, don't want that. And that's what happens because of the show. Uh, but what I said to him was like, well, why don't you create a lesson plan today? Or could you get one student that you help? Right? And it doesn't have to be a big thing, but how can you do it on like a little scale that at least is moving you forward and getting that momentum going that direction? Or if you think it's impossible, just make sure. Like, maybe you're right. That's fine. But don't assume it is because... Most of these times when I think things are impossible, I'm like, oh, let me just check anyway. It's like, oh, nope. Sometimes it is, but, but a lot of times it's like, oh, no, it's totally doable. I'm trying to remind myself is like, when there's problems, there's always a solution. Yeah. Right? So I want to get a Bentley. All right, well, where's the solution? Do I get it with friends? Can I rent it from someone? I thought that like, hey, I want to have my own island, but okay, I'll compromise and have my friends. But now it basically only makes it better and doesn't in any way make it worse. So now we all have different talents that we can all put to work at the island. We're all motivated to work on it. We all come, so we were talking about this earlier with Budapest, like, it would probably be pretty difficult for me to organize, like, various friends to come to Budapest. But you and I are much more likely to go hang out in Budapest now because we own a place there together. So do you want to just maybe share the background, like, the quick background on that? So if you're familiar with Budapest, it's right, it's on Dab Utsa, right near Gojdu Udvar. It's in Hungary? Or Hungary's Hungary, Hungary, yes. Yeah. So you know yeah. the country that your, your <laughs> yeah. place is in. That's good. If you actually asked me to put it on a map, I don't think I could right now. Yeah, it's a weird place, actually. Nine borders nine or eight or nine other countries. It's like kind of crazy. Not many people love like Budapest. Okay, so Budapest is literally the best. That's why it's got the name "best" in it. Yeah, like if you, it's like a country that had the word "great" in it. Yeah, I mean, like it, Great Britain. I guess is Great Britain great though? No, they took it off. That's why it's called Britain. Yeah, now. it's just Britain. Now. It's not so great. <laughs> Somebody needs to make Britain great again. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. All right. So, how did you get this idea? So, you're in Budapest because you travel a lot. You enjoy traveling. So I get to Budapest, and this is the best European city I've ever been in by like a factor of 10. Like, it's not even close. Stunningly beautiful city. Uh, Thermal baths everywhere that are like 100-year-old thermal baths or 500-year-old thermal baths made by the Turks. Like, beautiful mosaics, all natural. It's the most uh, thermal, geothermically active area in Europe. Incredible food. You can walk into a Michelin star restaurant, no reservation, 20 bucks for dinner. How did you get the idea for it? And like, I guess I'm also curious where the future of it goes. Right. So I, a big battle in my life for a long time was, do I stay in one place or do I travel? And every year, another one of my goals, sort of like the sleep thing was like, I think I need to just be in one place more. And then what I found is like, okay, like, why is that? Like, let's actually analyze it because I had like choice A, which is stay put, choice B, which is travel all the time. And I wasn't happy with either. So instead of taking a bad choice, I'm like, okay, well, what's, how do I find the root cause and then figure out choice C based on that? What I don't like about traveling is that there's this adjustment period when you get somewhere, it's like, all right, like, where's the healthy food? Where's the gym? Where's the tea place I'm going to go to? There's all this friction and then it, it would impact my work a lot. But I noticed that there were certain places, like my friend's place I stay in Tokyo, family's place in New Jersey outside of New York, where I would get a lot of work done. So I thought about it, I was like, oh, I just need home bases in different places. And so I thought, okay, well, instead of, I'm just going to do the middle. I'm just going to have a tenth of ten houses instead of one of one house. And that way I'll get to travel, I'll get to know these places better, because now I've been to a lot of countries. And so the marginal utility of going to a new country is fairly low, unless it's Budapest. But the value of going deeper on these places I really like, like Tokyo, hmm. um, and Budapest is probably pretty high. So... I'll just have these home bases everywhere and then I'll share them with my friends because that's another thing is like, how do I coordinate with my friends so I get to spend more time with them? Because what I found is that at this point, the value in travel for me is shared experiences with friends more than seeing a new place. This is the perfect solution. I'll buy places with my friends. 
we all get invested in them. It's cheap enough that nobody has to freak out about if they're utilizing it or if the property value is going up or down. And I'll help my friends who are interested build this cool life where it's like, well, now we travel together at various times. We overlap and, uh, you know, get to know different cultures better around the world. Um, so I'm going to do one more in Tokyo and then maybe some tropical place. Do you think there's a business? It's actually like Museum Hack where you started doing something as just a hobby and that you're interested with your friends and turn it into like a larger thing. Have you thought about that? I've thought about it. I think I don't care so much about money anymore, really. I have enough and I think I have enough potential for just doing things I like that I'm going to make more that like, I feel like that might ruin it for me. Because the whole point is I like, I'm very selective about who I invite to it. Even people who I like and would like to hang out with, I'm like, will they mesh with the group? Uh, maybe I won't invite them for that reason. I just want it to be where we each pay an equal share and it's as cheap as possible so people, it's accessible to my friends. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just not interested in making it into a business. I think it's doable. In addition, it's also a cool story. Like people are like, oh, do you have any property? I'm like, well, I own a place in Budapest. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, and then I tell the story. And then I'm like, oh, these are kind of things that make get, add a little hot sauce to life. It's also a cool perk for your friends because then it's like, oh. A friend of mine stayed there. Let, let's go. Oh, did they stay there? Yeah. I, I was like, I never heard anything about that if they actually yeah, stayed. Yeah, a friend of mine went and stayed. Oh, they were good guests. We didn't notice. That was a lot of why I wanted to get this place in, in Vegas because I had this RV so I could never host people. But I'd stay like with Nick all the time. Like I've stayed at your place. I was like, man, like I wish I could have people stay at my place too. Mm. And so that's another one of those things where it's like, I think a lot about like, how can I permanently improve my life forever? I'll always own that Budapest place. It's always going to make my life better. And it's also always going to make my friends and family's lives better. Same with the island, same with the place in Vegas, same with yeah. future places. I really like this con concept that you're talking about, like permanently better, right? Yeah. Instead of like a one-off thing or a little up and then come back down to where you were. It's like, how do you add experiences or items or people that right. forever make or life skills better. or perspective. skills yeah, yeah yeah totally that's a really good point yeah because you do that and it's this like slow creep where like you know in any given year i think i do x amount of interesting things and my life looks a little bit better or whatever and i could literally do this for under a thousand bucks a month like at, at like an awesome level and that's permanent because i've made all these little changes just make my life permanently better i think one thing i just want to remind myself and i want to remind anyone who's listening all million people we have two million how many three millions in china it's millions yeah okay is that it's possible. Yeah. I think that's one of those things where I can imagine someone listening to it and they're like, okay, no one in China are rich. You know, China makes 5K I'm, a month. I'm not rich. No, you make 5K a month, which is, you know, I don't know if it's a lot for people or a little, but you're not making millions. And people are like, well, I'm in this job. I hate my job. I can't do this. And it's like, no, it's possible. Like, you want to change your job? You can. You want to change your wife? or You know, you can. <laughs> if you want to change your husband, you can. Like, it's your life to take control of and take it back and do the things you really want and do all these kind of fun things. It's not like, well, oh, Tynan's more special. Right. Like someone said this to me, and I've been repeating it a lot because it kind of hurt my feelings, but then it was also very inspiring. Uh, they're like, no, you're very not special. <laughs> they're like, you're not unique at all. I heard your story three times already. Yeah, it's not about that. Like, I just like who I am. Yeah, you, can, you don't have to be special to build something special. Yeah. It's just this incremental, and I think everybody's like, oh. That's a good quote. Well, overnight, I couldn't totally change my life into this thing. It's like, yeah, but nobody does. Like what you can do is you can make one step there this month, one step the next month, one step the next month. And then five years from now, your life can be unrecognizable. Let's just all have the best 2022 we can possibly have. Like forget about 2017, 2018. Like what can you do now so that we're all just going to have the most awesome 2022? Yeah, that's a great thought. Because, you know, like you said, it's not just possible, but it's, it's easier than you often think. Like I thought, I was like, oh, this island this is going to be like this big deal because it feels like a big deal. And it's like, nope. Asked each of my friends for, you know, some thousands of dollars, wired the money, then we had an island. And same thing with Budapest, I'll say the number, it was 10,000 bucks a person. 
Anybody can save that up in three years. Maybe you're going to have to cut out stuff for sure. Maybe you have to make some, but like if your dream is like, I want to own a place in Budapest with my friends, great. It's possible. Do that in tw- like 2020. You could totally, like anybody listening could figure out a way to do that. Or just get richer friends. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> and then you don't have to figure that out. Yeah. In concluding, one, you've, you're finally in a relationship, which I, as long as we've known, you've, you haven't been. You had a wife quest. Do you want to just share what wife quest is? I felt like dating was just too distracting. It took up some time, but it took up a lot of my mind share just because I would get so into it. So I'm like, oh, should I call her? Should I do this? Should I go out and meet new people? And so I said, for an experiment, I'm just going to do three years of no dating whatsoever. I'm like, okay, so I'm not going to date for three years, but all my mother wants in this world is grandchildren. And I'm the oldest one. And so the deal with her, I was like, all right, look, I'm not, I'm doing this thing. She was horrified. I was like, but January 1st, 2016, Wife Quest 9000 begins. And I'm going to start dating with the intent of finding someone to settle down with. And so made it pretty much through the three years. Definitely made it through two. Third year, there was some incidents. Yeah. And then basically just started dating. Like I, I think right before this, I got to the point where I was like, if the next girl I date is the one, is the last girl I ever date. I'm ready for that. Whereas before that, I was definitely not ready for that. Like, I even I had girlfriends for, you know, a year, year and a half. And I was always thinking like, yeah, but we're going to break up someday for sure. And so when, as soon as I realized that and I was trying to work a lot, I was like, okay, well, if that's the kind of relationship I want to have, I don't have time in my life for that. It's not going to happen. So I may as well put it off three years. You committed that you would help someone cross one thing off their bucket list if they introduced that's you right, to yeah. a woman. Did you hear about the first girl I met off that? No. It's an insane story. So January 1st, 2016 was when Wife Quest started. Before that, a few months before in August, I took a cruise from Vancouver to Tokyo, totally unrelated to San Francisco. I'm on this cruise and, you know, you sit with random people at lunch. There's an older couple. I'm talking with them. And one of them mentioned she has a daughter about my age. She's like, oh, I have a daughter around your age. I said, oh, well, I've got great news for you. Wife Quest 9000 is starting January 1st. I'm sure, you, you know, I'm 35. I'm sure you want to marry her off. She's getting old. Let's do an, <laughs> let's do an arranged marriage and we'll solve both of our goals. And she's like, oh, no, I couldn't do that. And so I was like, come on, mom. I started calling her mom. She would show me pictures of this girl. I'm like, oh, she's pretty cute. And then I'd like go to swipe. She's like, no, too much. Maybe tomorrow I'll show you another one. Became friends with this woman. She came to, we would have these lunches, business lunches, where we talk about somebody's business. We had her come to one. She was the only guest. She's like, oh, I don't know how I can introduce you to my daughter. You know, you, you, you guys might get along. It might be dangerous. But if I try to introduce you, she'll never want to meet you. So as happens on cruises, we didn't stay in touch. January comes around, wife quest comes. I figured I'd get one or two submissions. I got so many, probably 20, 30. So people. you emailed just to, you emailed your whole audience telling them, Hey, introduce me to a girl. Yeah. And if you help me, if it's someone that you marry if, or date for two years, then you will help them cross one thing off their bucket list. Yeah. Then I'll like, like you want to go hiking wherever I'm going to like fly you out there with me. We're going to do it together kind of thing. Um, so I had a lot of like really good submissions, but nobody where I was just like, ah, oh, this is like the person. What'd they have to job. send in? Well, that was the problem. So I should have said, Send me where she lives, send me a picture, send me like what she does with her life. I would just get a total modeled thing where people are like, hey, here's my friend Jenny's phone number. You should call her. I'm like, okay, well, I'm, not, like, I'm not calling some random person. <laughs> Other people, they'd be like, like, tell me a lot about her, but no picture. It's like just, it was very hard to deal with the data because it was so random. I think I went on a couple dates, emailed a few of them, but it was just like too much of a hassle. So I was kind of burnt out on this whole thing. And I get one more and it was a girl who I had, it was from a girl who I had met with her boyfriend at Samovar, they were like, oh, you're, you're tied in. I like your blog. And she's like, hey, I, I think I have the perfect girl for you. You got to meet this girl. Sends me the email and I'm sort of like done with it. Then the girl replies to all. And at the bottom, she has an Instagram link. I'm like, oh, let me see what no she looks way. like. Click the Instagram. First picture I see is my cruise mom. And this girl. And this girl. It was her mom. I met her daughter totally randomly on a cruise. 
And how did that relationship go? Uh, it went pretty well. We dated for maybe about six months. I think on paper, if I were to write down what I'm interested in, she's like almost everything. But yeah, there's just like some connection that wasn't there. Okay, and the one now? Uh, so the one now is kind of funny too. So are you, are you on Tinder? No. Have you used it before? Yeah. Uh, what, what was your experience of it, first of all? It's okay. It's kind of like a hookup thing. And, what, and how do you use it? Do you swipe right to everybody and then see who you Depends if I was If I was drinking, I would just do like, yeah, the swipe yeah. bomb. Yeah. And then if I was like being conscious, I'd be like, oh, she seems like a nice person. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of swipe right. Okay. So I would just swipe right to everybody. And, you know, you get, I would get some matches, but it ended up being like mostly people like, oh, I'm not really interested in this person or whatever. Especially here in Vegas where like everybody, everybody parties and drinks and it's just like, whiskey like everybody's profile says they like whiskey or they're coming they're here for the weekend or that happens too i meet this guy in budapest talking about tinder and he's like oh you're doing it all wrong you can't just swipe right on everybody like what do you mean he's like well you're never gonna meet anybody like that like what he says well when a woman's on tinder every guy she swipes right to is swiping right on her too basically almost all of them so she's never going to swipe right on more than like five guys because she doesn't want a billion guys messaging her so it's not so much that you're getting swiped left upon it's that she's never seeing you because there's this you know, thousand guys, she's only going to see the first five in the list and she'll never get to the bottom because it keeps getting bigger and bigger. So he said the algorithm is matching girls with guys who are actually going to respond to them and be interested. So he said, you never swipe right unless you've looked at all their photos, stayed on their profile for a few seconds, and anytime you match with anybody, you have to message them. And I was doing the opposite. Oh, that's so interesting. I never thought about that. Never thought about it either. So I was swiping right to everybody and I would never message them. When you're using other services like YouTube marketing or Facebook, what is their motivation? Right. Right. So Facebook wants you to stay on. So if you're trying to get content that's popular on Facebook, get people that will want do create things that people will want to stay on. Same with YouTube. What is their motivation and how can you take advantage of that? So I'm a little I'm you know, I'm a little skeptical of it just because my experience at Tinder is like, yeah, it's all right. It's like all right. Um, come back here to Vegas, do this thing, and it is day and night difference. Wow. All of a sudden I'm matching with girls I'm interested in. I I had so many dates that I was like canceling on people. And so but then the, then the problem became that, like you were saying, everybody's transient. And I would chat with them for a while and be like, hey, you know, like next day I'm like, hey, let's meet up for tea. And they're like, oh, I'm heading to the airport. I'm, I'm, I'm over here. I'm doing my Tinder. So I see this girl, really beautiful girl, really good shape. Her whole profile is like, I like scuba diving and like playing tennis and hiking and like all these cool things. No alcohol in any of the pictures. Super like her. But I'm like, this, this girl's pretty hot. She's probably not going to write me back. Next day, a little Tinder noise. I'm sitting here on the couch. And I see that I've matched with this girl. I'm like, whoa, okay, this is, this is really good. Um, and then she's messaged me first, which is crazy. Like, I'm yeah, like, oh, this cool. is definitely a prostitute. She's desperate. Yeah, yeah she's like a prostitute. Because <laughs> there are a lot of prostitutes here on yeah. Tinder. Uh, there was even one I was like, does this actually work? I was trying to get in a conversation about like, and she wouldn't, she didn't want to talk business. Um, so talking with her and, and literally we've, we've barely talked at all. And I'm just like, and I see that she's from the University of Houston. This girl's too hot. She's not going to meet up with me anyway. If I wait till tomorrow to try to meet up with her, it's like 9 p.m. If I wait till tomorrow, maybe she's leaving. I'm like, hey, what are you doing tonight? You want to meet up? She's like, well, how about in half an hour? I'm like, oh, oh yeah, okay, great. Okay, tea places at Mandarin Oriental. She's like, okay, I'm staying next door at Aria. I'm like, great, I'll meet you in the lobby there. So I start driving. I'm like halfway there, and I get a text from her like, hey, have you already left? Oh, God, she's canceling on me, and she was. Like I found out later she was trying to cancel on me. And I'm like, yep. And she's like, you know, no reply. I'm like, do you need like an extra 10 minutes or something? She's like, yeah, is that okay? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. So I go to the lobby 
and she's Asian. I go in the lobby and I only see one Asian girl and she's like even more attractive than the photos in Tinder. So I'm like, oh, this is like probably not really her. Because my experience with Tinder is like, boy, these girls know those angles, right? And so I'm like a little, I'm like, oh, should I say? And so I kind of like 20 feet away, I'm like, Min? And she turns up, I'm like, oh, hey, you know, how's it going? So introduce myself, give her a hug, and her eyes open wide. She's like, quick, come here. And she like pulls me behind a slot machine. I'm like, oh my God, her boyfriend's here or something. And this girl comes up, super tall girl, and starts talking to her. And she's like, you know, are you going to come out with us? She's like, no, I'm going, you know, here. So we walk to the tea place. I'm like, what was that? And she's like, oh, all my classmates want to party, but I don't really party. And so that's why I, want, I wanted to go out with you. It was a good excuse to ditch them. I was like, we are off to a really good start. So yeah, so we had our first first date. First date, we had the uh, the tea. Even so, I found out it was her birthday, and that day, that that night was her birthday. And, huh, like, and then she wanted to go out with some stranger. Well, so here's the thing. So I'm like, oh, happy birthday, and she's like, yeah, I don't like birthdays. I'm like, dude, me neither. I never tell my friends what my birthday is. It was like this. I was like, oh, we have like a lot in common. These are definitely meant to be. Yeah, definitely meant to be. And so, so we basically spent the next three days together. Like even so, I like you know walked her back to her place, dropped her off, and. You know, normally, so first of all, I'd say 90% of first dates, I'm like, how can I get out of this and don't yeah. see her again? This girl, I, I really wanted to see her, and I didn't even feel like I had to ask her out. I was just like, so when am I going to pick you up tomorrow? And she's like, oh, how about like eight? I'll be done with all my stuff then. Um, so yeah, I've talked to her like every single day since then. I went, flew to Houston where she is. We drove down to Austin, stayed at your place. You guys make love in my bed? Uh, we did make love in your bed. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, and then she met my mom in Austin. This is like very serious for me because, so she's my girlfriend now. And I'd say before someone's my girlfriend, the difference for me is that I'm actively trying to like find a way out or I'm like find some Why? flaws. Well, I just like, let's do some heavy screening. It's like if you're hiring for your company. It's yeah, like, you go through a lot of process. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like asking the questions, to like try to find out bad things about her. I'm trying to like test her, like really trying to like, like, find a reason to stop seeing her. I mean, I want her to pass. Yeah. I've heard this about dating where like a lot of the times what people are doing when they're dating is looking for inconsistency. They're actually looking for some moment that like, okay, that's inconsistent with yeah. who they, they seem to be. Because everybody puts on a front for yeah. the most part in the beginning. So where do you think it'll be in 2020? 2022. In 2022, we can listen to this episode right. and be like, I called this and it didn't work out or it did. What do you think it'll be in 2022 if you had to call it today? The easy answer is like, we won't be dating because I've never dated anybody for five years. So statistically, I think that's the right answer. Part of my process is like, dude, when you meet someone who's like a 10 out of 10 in every arena, except for like one that's only going to improve, like accept it and put in the work. How do you think you're different now? She really struck me like, well, this is somebody who's like a really good partner. And I think that, you know, the more relationships you have, the more you can be like, all right, like, like what was my responsibility there that I, uh, you know, so there's somewhere it's like, I, I, I think I tend to take things for granted. So it's like one girl, first girl I ever met who was like, this could be the one. In retrospect, I'm glad it, she wasn't, but she could have been, and I would be happy, and it would have been great. I was just like, hey, she's the one. I don't have to put any, like, this is the first girl I've ever met. She doesn't drink. Like, we were both vegan. We both try. Like, she's the one. Great. And it just got very boring, because both of us just sort of coasted, and we didn't, like, build that relationship. 50-50, maybe. In 2022, you're together with her kids and the family. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see it happening, and I think I could only have said that about two or three girls ever in my life. Okay. Um, and I think I'm better prepared than in those ones, so yeah. The best thing in my life, honestly, is like my friends. I think, I think I just have like the most amazing friends in terms of just people who are good for the world, people who are like good as good people as good friends. I'm proud that like I could be somebody who those people would want to be friends with. I was pretty deliberate about fostering those friendships and making time for them and stuff like that. Um, and I think you know when you, when you look at almost anybody's life, like 
that's something I think about. Like, why is my life good? It's like mostly quality time with friends. If you take that away, like, it's still good life. I'm still super happy, but that's the best thing. The, the overall theme for what we talked about with a lot of the life lessons is just like taking control of your life. Yeah. I'm trying to think of something and I hope you love your input. Like, what is one thing that someone listening in the Lobian up in their earlobe could do today to start taking back their life? Everybody has a, this list of things they'd like to do that they think are impossible. I'd say pick one and just fully investigate it. You don't have to do it. Just see what it would like. Plan it out. Write it down. Write your thoughts about it. Write how you feel emotionally because I think a lot of times that's what actually stops people. And if it seems like there's a good, like weigh the pros and cons and if it seems reasonable, give yourself permission to take the risk. Like maybe it's not going to work out. Maybe you're going to lose money. Maybe you're going to look like an idiot. But if you're not going to ever take any risk, what's the point? You know, so, so maybe if it's something that's been on your list, maybe it's worth uh, taking that risk for it. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. Here's something I want you to do if you love the show. Go text a friend right now that you love them. Secondly, please give me feedback about the show at Noah Kagan, N-O-A-H-K-A-G-A-N. Third, go check out Tynan's website, T-Y-N-A-N.com. Go give the guy some love. It was an amazing, tons of golden nuggets. Willy Wonka was in this episode. I loved it. And number four, have a delectable day. What's your favorite book? I'll, I'll let you do this. I don't want to yeah. like accidentally delete Dude, it. If we deleted it, I'd probably like cut my dick off. I'd do it for you.